after I read the chapter, I'll reset the context. It's been several weeks since we've been in the book of Ruth. I was, we had the missions conference. I was preaching in the lower 48 prior to that. So it's been about three Sundays, or this is the third Sunday, I think, since we've been in the book of Ruth. <clears throat> so Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou was? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the, thresh, in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until... Uh, uh, until he ha- shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid, and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? She answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I, that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. She lay at his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. When she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And he told her all that the man had done to her. She said, These six measures of barley gave gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou knowest how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that you would control what I say and how I say it. Lord, please work. Lord, I pray that your word would draw us closer, would be a help to us and strengthen us. Lord, if there is anyone here who does not truly know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that even this morning they have repented and placed their faith in Christ. May you be glorified and honored. Lord, please work. I beg you, your mercy and your grace and your help. Lord, 
Again, I love you and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When we got into the book of Ruth in chapter 1, we're introduced, of course, to Naomi and her family, Elimelech, her husband, and, and her two sons. And the point of the very first message after the introductory message covering the whole book was how life many times does not go as planned. That's true for so many of us. We have things all planned out of how we think it's going to work. And we saw that with Naomi, all the excitement of getting married. But then the famine hits. Again, this is during the time of the judges. It's likely around the time when the Midianites were in control of Israel. Because they had decimated much of the food when they had come into the country. So life didn't go as planned. They have to leave Israel. While they're out of Israel, more tragedy just strikes the family as her husband dies. She has two sons. They marry. Uh, um, the wives uh, um, do not bear any children unto the family name whatsoever. And ten years into this, both of her sons die. So she's living in Moab, a foreign land, which is difficult for somebody from Israel. Her husband died shortly after they arrived, and then her two sons also die. She's left there. She's there, of course, by herself with her two daughter-in-law, daughter-in-laws. And so she makes the decision, a good one, I need to head back to Israel. But all the tragedy that she has went through and how life did not go as planned has begun to affect her, affect her view of God. As we see in statements in chapter 1, she actually put the blame on God for what was happening to her. It led to bitterness in her life. When she returned home, she said, call me Mara. And even as we, we jump into chapter 2, we have God beginning to arrange, arrange things for the family. We see a divine appointment taking place where Ruth is going to meet this man named Boaz. But as we see, it starts off, Ruth acts on her own initiative, the foreigner. The one who's now in a strange land. Because uh, at this point in time, Naomi's not in a place to be an encouragement and a help. That bitterness has come into her heart. So Ruth, on her own, sets out to go and try and provide for the family. And she knows that she could go glean in a field. And she happens, providentially, upon the field of a man named Boaz. And it also happens, due to circumstances, she is there when he arrives on the field and they meet. Boaz notices her immediately. He'd already heard of her coming back with, with Naomi as people realized Naomi was back in town. Again, this is in Bethlehem. This is a small town. We cover that. There's not very many people here. We're dealing with around a thousand people. And he begins to actually show love immediately towards her. He begins to take care of her. And that first night when, when Naomi, when Ruth, excuse me, returned home, this is at the conclusion now of chapter 2 before we get into chapter 3, Naomi sees all this food she's coming home with. Remember, we're dealing with over, over a month's worth of provision that a gleaner happened to come home with, which is just incredible. And she says, who took notice of you? Where were you? I was in the field of a man named Boaz. And it clicks. All that God is doing. That's a kinsman. I know him. He's not married. And all of a sudden, she's able to release all that bitterness, and she makes the choice to do it. We see what is the theme of the entire epistle is, besides the, the, the overriding theme, of course, is redemption. This is an incredible picture of Christ saving us, being our kinsman redeemer. But it's also a picture of bitterness being turned into joy when one realizes all that God is doing even in the midst of trials and tragedy. And as Naomi begins to see how God eclipsed all that God can do. She knows it wasn't an accident, the field she happened to go to. She sees the provision that's there. She knows 
this man took notice of her. Remember, he brought her in and had her sit at the table for lunch that day. She even had food from that in her pocket. Remember that? She had that kind of hidden like a surprise. Look what else I have. Where'd you get that? I ate at his table. You did what? <clears throat> and so again, we, we saw that bitterness turned to joy. And that's where we left off. That was a turning point for Naomi. She saw God working. Now we come into chapter 3. What I'm going to do is a little bit different. The introduction is going to be the longest part of this message. Um, I'm going to cover all the events of chapter 3 just by way of introduction. And then I'm going to pull out quickly three things that help us right now today from what's taking place here. But let's go over this chapter, and then I'll get into those three things. I'm going to get into the need in the first five verses, the need for wisdom. And then we're going to see, after that, the need for wholesomeness or integrity. And then, of course, we'll finish with the need for waiting in life many times. You just have to wait. So Naomi, now free from her bitterness, focuses on Ruth and her care for her. She comes up with a really a great plan to get things moving. She says she's seeking rest for her. In other words, she wants her to have a family. She wants her to enjoy life. Naomi is responding to where she is seeing God's providence at work. She's responding to that. When you see God's providence in your life, don't delay it. You act upon it. So Naomi here sets the stage for what's happening. She, know, she knows Boaz, this is still the time of the harvest, is going to be at the threshing floor that night. She knows the workers are there, all that's taking place, that with all the grain that's coming in, the winnowing is going to be happening. We need to go over this process a little bit. I think it's important to understand what's happening there, why she's, she's not going to Boaz's house. The workers are, are at the they're, they're out there at the field and by this threshing floor. They're working. They're going to stay right there that night. And Naomi knows this is the perfect opportunity for Ruth to find a time to talk with him, and it's going to be appropriate. So we already know at the fields they've been harvesting. We saw that in the previous chapter. The grain would be bundled up, carried from the field to the threshing floor. Let's go ahead and pull a picture up of a threshing floor real quick, and we'll go over what the winnowing is. So we understand what's happening. So this is a typical threshing floor. It would look very similar to this in Bethlehem. Not much different what it, what it would have looked like. Workers would have been staying here. It was just kind of like in PNG. It would be much easier with all the work. Remember, this is the busiest time of the year right now. Um, like when I, when I was in New Guinea out in the villages, when they would go clear a section of land for a garden, it was rare the workers would go back home. They would just sleep right there. Why? They don't have a nice little Ford car to get into and drive home. It's a walk home. So you would just sleep there. You know you've got to be at work early in the morning and start again. And so a lot of times at this point, a lot of the workers would be staying right there, which is what we see taking place in the text. And a threshing floor, they would bring those bundles in. The bundles would come in, and then they would begin the threshing process. That wooden thing there is called a sledge. Uh, it was commonly used even back in biblical times. Uh, this, this particular threshing floor, actually, you can still see some from North Africa today, is actually from Israel. But that's a sledge. It'd be pulled behind uh, usually an animal or two, and it's just wood with maybe little tiny spikes at the bottom of it. And, and they use that to begin to separate 
uh, uh, separate at this time the husk from the kernel. And so it'll go around, they'll use, they'll, they'll use hooves, they have another sledge tool that they'll use, they'll just walk on it, they'll use animals to go round and round and round and begin that process. And then, next you have the winnowing. That's where they would again take a pitchfork with what they just got done mashing over and over and over, and they would throw it up into the air. And that's when the wind would take the chaff, blow it away, and that grain would fall right down. Then they would begin to collect all the grain, put it in sacks, and it would be carried away. It was tedious work, it was long work, but it was effective. There's still places, when I was studying for this, I was watching uh, watch the whole process on a video, just like it's described here uh, from uh, North Africa, how they were going through all of it, the, the same process. So that's what's taking place right here. This is where Boaz is at. He's going to be staying there, it's his field. There's a lot of reasons for him to stay there as well. One, of course, it's his field. People have respect for him. He doesn't want anything stolen. This is during the time of the judges. You can go ahead and take that off and turn the lights on. This is when uh, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. This was the land of situational ethics. This was the land, if you think it's better for you to have that, then you just go ahead and take it. So he's also there to protect it, uh, along with the work that's taking place. And so this is the setting. This is what Naomi knows is taking place. They would also, it's also important to know, because of the timing of this, when uh, Ruth would show up, is this was, this was always done late afternoon and evening, because that's when the breeze was best coming off the sea. So that's when they'd have the best breeze to be able to do the winnowing, to throw it up so it would take it right away. When you watch it, it is pretty amazing. That breeze comes right in, and you can see that chaff just being taken right away, and the grain falling right down. And so the workers are sleeping there, Boaz is there, Naomi knows it, so she gives her plan. She uses great wisdom. She, as Ruth, tells her, go get ready. Go bathe, get perfume, you're, you're going to get fixed up right now. You're getting ready to propose marriage. Which is amazing. You think about all the obstacles to this. This isn't this is in my notes, but you think about this. You have several things taking place here for a marriage proposal that is just so different for this culture or almost any culture. You have a woman asking a man. You have a foreigner asking the national. You have, you have just a regular, low-level worker asking the owner of the field. There's so many different things here taking place. And that's going to come into play when we get to words that Boaz is going to tell Ruth, fear not. She has a lot of reason to believe this is going to be rejected. So Boaz and his workers, they're processing the grain. Ruth is telling, uh, Naomi's telling Ruth, go get ready. She tells her, you wait until he's asleep. Then you go in, you uncover his feet, and you stay right there. Now, uncovering his feet, this is what's going to cause the guy to wake up. In just a few hours. And as the Bible says, sure enough, it works. A couple hours later at midnight, he's going to wake up. It, it, the temperature changes. It gets colder. It's, it's going to wake him up. And then she wants Ruth to make very clear to him what her intentions are to propose marriage. This is what this action is going to do. And then it picks up immediately. Ruth follows her instructions. She waits for the right time. Boaz is finished working for the day. Um, they go in and eat. I've seen the same problem. They're getting over and you finish working. It, you know, darkness is coming. It, you're eating dinner. It's probably within an hour after that. You're crashing. You're heading to bed. She sees it. Boaz is at that threshing floor. He's going to sleep. And, and Ruth sees it. And she heads in. 
She goes in, she uncovers his feet, she lays there, and soon enough, at midnight, the Bible says, she wakes up. You could just imagine, poor Boaz, he wakes up and sees a woman laying at his feet. He does not recognize it as Ruth yet. And he asks who this is, and she answers, I am Ruth, thy handmaiden. This alone, by her wording, is implying the potential of marriage. It's not the proposal yet, but it implies the potential. She now veers a little bit, but in a good way, from Naomi's instructions. Basically, using words that Boaz word, implying back, referencing back to words that Boaz used when he prayed a blessing upon um, Ruth in chapter 2, about the Lord covering her with his wings. She asked him to spread his skirt over her, his garment. This action was, the saying, and also the action was the Eastern idiom. It was asking Boaz for marriage. To throw your garment over the woman was an act implying a desire to marriage. She knows that he has the legal right to marry her in the nation of Israel. And when she said that, that's an act implying marriage. She's saying, marry me. Boaz recognizes that immediately. It was a common custom of the day. In Boaz's response in verse 10, he immediately acknowledges God in this. And he praises Ruth for her actions. Her showing kindness to Naomi in his mind by wanting to marry the Redeemer, to be able to redeem them. There's much that's going to go with this wedding. Not just the fact of the marriage that we do have taking place between uh, Ruth and Boaz. It is going to even lead to so much. The property is going to be redeemed of her husband. There's much going on here. He praises her for not going after the younger men. Keep in mind, there is an age difference between these two. We're not sure exactly, but it's likely, it's likely that he is perhaps almost as old as what her father-in-law would have been. So he praises her for not going after the younger men, for choosing to help Naomi for the route that she's taking, for acknowledging that she's not acting from passion or from greed. Verse 11, he tells her, And now, my daughter, fear not. He gives assurance. Again, don't think this was easy for Ruth with what she was doing right here. We know she had a measure of boldness. We see that throughout the entire few chapters here in the book of Ruth. But this was not easy for her. He could see the, the, the fear that was, that was in her face with what was taking place right now. Understand, we already know how it ends. Ruth has no clue what he's going to do. How often do we see in Scripture where the Lord tells us to fear not? Such great advice for our day for the same reason that Boaz is telling her to fear not. We, live, let's just, we can see not just our nation or our, our state or our nation, just the world, how fear is just gripping everything. People just making decisions out of fear. Yet over and over the Lord commands us to fear not. Why? Because God will do what he promises. He will. This is what Boaz has given the assurance to Ruth about, that he will do. 
what he promises. He proclaims that, she, that he knows she is a virtuous woman. Ruth had a great testimony in all of Bethlehem. She is a Proverbs 31 woman, exactly what Boaz has been looking for. He's waited on God to send the right person, and now God has and he knows it. I believe, of course, as I covered in chapter 2, I believe Ruth was a woman that caught his eye immediately. God pricking his heart. You see him show that love just instantly towards Ruth. By the way, think about this. If Boaz does not wait on God, he's not in the lineage of Christ. Verse number 12, though, there is a problem. There is an obstacle. There's a closer relative, a closer kinsman to Elimelech than Boaz. By the way, what we begin to see here now is Boaz's integrity. He's a man of integrity. He lets Ruth know there's someone nearer to him. That he has the first right to redeem. He has the first right to marry Ruth. He's being honest. We already know he wants to marry her. There's no question about it. We see that in chapter 2. This is what he desires. He wants to marry her. But he says, listen, i got to be honest. There's somebody that, that's, that's already a closer redeemer. My guess is he had that knowledge immediately. But it's also possible he was already checking into it. What I love about this is Boaz, get this, did not try and scheme his way to marry her. He didn't try and develop some plan. All right, Ruth, you love me, I love you. I know we've got this closer redeemer, but I don't like the guy. We're going to develop this plan to make this happen. He trusted God. He didn't try and scheme his way to let it happen. He trusted God. Wasn't easy for him. You better believe his stomach was probably wrenching. Well, it will be when we get to chapter 4 next week. When he's approaching the man who is a closer, who is a, a, a closer relative than he is to Elimelech. And again, it's just another obstacle. Again, remember this. There are many times that we face obstacles in life. Many of the times, those are a result of simply God wanting to make clear to us that he's in control. Or just to show his strength in your life. Sometimes we think God is, is unlike us before our children. You know, I have Levi. There's times that I want to see Levi and all my kids when they are younger where, where I can show my strength before them or show some goodness to them. You want them to see that. You, you want them um, um, to look up to you and say, wow, that's my dad. There's not a dad in here that doesn't want that. Do you think God is less than that? He's constantly wanting to do things in our life where you simply say, wow, that's my dad. That's just another thing he's getting ready to do right here in this story. Remember that when you face many obstacles, those are also opportunities for God to show himself strong in your life. In verse 13, he goes on. He lets her know. If the nearer kinsman wants to marry her, he says, well, you let him. 
It's what's right to do. Don't think that was easy for him to say because it wasn't. This was putting God before himself. This is the time of judges. This is not a righteous time in the nation. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He could have immediately... It's amazing to me how people are faced with certain situations. When everything's easy for them, what they agree with, they follow God and their convictions. Let one thing change, they let it go. When it's something about self, he doesn't do that. He honors God. Listen, if, if he wants to do it, you're, you're going to have to let him marry you. It's the right thing to do. And God's going to honor that. He promises, though, if he does not marry you, oh, I am. It'll be done. I think, I think Ruth got a little excited at that right there. We know it's after midnight when Boaz awoke and found Ruth lying at his feet. So now he gives her instruction, you're going to sleep right here at the, thresh, at the threshing floor tonight. You're going to stay right here. He's protecting her by doing this in several ways. One, she has no business being out this late at night. It would be dangerous. I think it's all right. All right, let me get back into this. He has her instructor that she's going to tarry there that night. The word tarry, the word that he's using here in instructor, she's going to stay there that night, I should say. It means it means to lodge, letting her you're going to stay there, but there's a, a much more important uh, um, reason why we have that word, especially when I was going through a lot of the different commentaries and said as to what was taking place. What it implies is this, what has a direct meaning of even though she's going to tarry there that night, there is no physical relations taking place whatsoever. None. This is all above board and all with integrity. <clears throat> now, because Boaz did not put his mantle, did not put his, his garment over her, they are not engaged yet. That's because there's a nearer kinsman. So she laid at his feet until morning in verse 14. She arose up before one, uh, one could know another. And she said, let it be known that a woman came into the, let, uh, uh, um, let it not be known that a woman came in unto the floor. And he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And so we see her rising up early in the morning. Boaz wants her, to, uh, wants her to leave before the town gossips get going, before they take over. People always love to assume sin. They always love to assume sin right away. He's trying to avoid that. 
Boaz knows this. He doesn't want Ruth to have to endure all the gossip that's going to be taking place, so he has her leave in a way which no one is going to know it. Boaz has her use her veil or shawl, and he puts fresh grain into it. This is going to serve a couple of purposes. By the way, it's, it's going to be a bit of a walk home. He's putting between 60 and 90 pounds of grain is what she's leaving with. Again, he's killing two birds with one stone. Seeing a woman carry this much grain, it, it, one is going to show and have an implication of working through the night, but the primary reason that he's going to do it, it's almost going to serve as a dowry to Naomi. This was quite a lot what she's coming back with. So in verse 16 through 18, as the chapter finishes up, you can just see Naomi anxiously waiting that morning to see what happened that night. I doubt Naomi slept very much at all the night before. So Ruth is coming up into the house. Uh, uh, Naomi sees her and she asks Ruth, who are you? In other words, are you engaged? Remember, in Israel, an engagement was serious business. That, that was, that was, that was it, you know, it was not like our day with engagements. Are, I mean, they're serious in our day, too, but much more so in Israel. And so she asked her, who are you? Are you engaged? Wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. So Ruth tells her all that happened. And Naomi tells her, Ruth, you're going to stay and wait. Just stay right here and wait. And that's exactly what she does. She said in verse 18, sit still, my daughter, until thou know the matter, how the matter will fall. The man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And sometimes some of the hardest things to do in life is waiting on God. Now, let me pull from this very quickly three things. The first five verses, the reason why I'm pulling these things out right now is this. All three of these will help you every day in your Christian life. It's things that are essential for us to be successful in it. Number one, we're going to see this, and that is wisdom, the first five verses. For time's sake, I'm not going to go back and read those, but that's when Ruth was developing, or Naomi was developing the plan to give to Ruth. Again, much of what happened, keep in mind, is because Naomi took off her bitterness. If Naomi holds on to her bitterness, this, this night does not happen. She sits there just angry and just mad over God, blaming God for taking her husband, blaming God for taking her sons. But she let it go. She's in a place where God can work. So often we miss so much by holding on to our bitterness. What work gets left behind while we enjoy our misery Naomi shows her love for Ruth and wants to help her. But she's going to need wisdom to do that. Boaz has not approached her about, has not mentioned at all any intention of redeeming her. That's because there are obstacles. I, I can think of two major ones right off the bat. One, Ruth is much younger. I think that hinders him. Two, it's harvest season. He's busy. I, I mean, this is, this is constant work that's taking place right now. And Naomi doesn't want to wait. She sees the importance. She sees God moving. She sees God's providence. And she's acting upon it. So Naomi uses wisdom in order to help Ruth. Wednesday night, I preached on this a little bit. But the fact is, we need wisdom from God. Again, Wednesday night, I preached on, uh, I brought up as, as just one of the subpoints, James chapter 1 and verse 5. That if any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God, which give it to all men liberally and abradeth not. Go to the Lord, ask him for wisdom. That's how you get it. There, there are times that I've read her people say they kind of explain that away. That verse means exactly what it says. Now, you can't be double-minded. In other words, you have to be real and genuine with your faith, which is, a, which is a, 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 one of the primary purposes of the book of James. We see that in Boaz. He's a man of integrity. But when you go to the Lord, you're not double-minded. You have some integrity. You're asking God for wisdom. Understand, He wants to give it to you. He wants to provide it for you. So often we try to go to other things as, as we looked even in our text. We go to schemes and this and that. And people go to escapism today, philosophy today, horoscopes, all that nonsense. Go to God for wisdom. And we see that he will give it. And as I mentioned Wednesday night, he abradeth not. That's my favorite part of that. And it's, I mean, I love that he gives us all the wisdom we're going to need. But it's just the fact that he, he abradeth not. He doesn't come to us and say, oh, really? You don't have wisdom for this? What's wrong with you? He simply gives it. Verses 6 through 15, we have the actions of, of Boaz here and Ruth. But not only do we need wisdom in life, but we also need wholesomeness or integrity. Boaz and Ruth both showed great integrity, a desire to do what's right, and God honors that. And we certainly need it in our life. We need, we need that ability, just like Boaz and his intentions and his actions here, trying to avoid even the very appearance of evil. This speaks of a desire to truly do what was right. To not get as close to sin as possible, but to get as close to God as possible. That's where we're at nowadays. People just want to get as close to sin as they can, instead of desiring to get as close to God as they can. Romans 13, 14 gets into this, to not making provision for your flesh. You avoid those things that intact your, your integrity. You avoid, as we've all heard it taught and preached, the three G's, gold, glory, and gals. Those three things destroy many people and many men. Some of you are doing right, but you know your heart's not really there, that it lacks integrity. It's a dangerous place to be. You say, but I'm doing right. According to James chapter 1, the only thing that miss, that's missing is opportunity. If, if you're just doing right, simply because really the right opportunity hasn't hit yet, and you don't have integrity with your walk, you just let the right opportunity hit, and you'll sin. That's why we see it so often. You say, well, what happened to that person? Uh, you know, as soon as the right opportunity hit, all it was waiting for. Read James chapter 1. When opportunity meets lust, sin takes place. Now, many times, God is gracious and merciful. Know what he does? He holds off those opportunities. He put those roadblocks in place in your life. But there comes a time when he begins to remove them. He gives you time to have that integrity, have that character in place. He leaves them there. But if you're not going to deal with that, there does come a point where he takes those roadblocks out of the way. And then lastly, we see waiting. Not only do we need wisdom in our life, not only do we need integrity in our life, but boy, when we're following God by faith, waiting is involved. Patience. Ruth would have to wait. And again, one of the toughest things to do is to wait on God. 
Again, I've already brought up, think if Boaz doesn't wait on God for this day. We don't know why we'd have any of those, any, anything that happened up to his life to this point is, as to what was, maybe he was just said, listen, I guess God has no one for me. He was just there, but he waited on God. Now he's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Amazing. I know we even have people here, even in the same shoes as Boaz, waiting on a spouse from God. You stay faithful and you wait. Trust in the Lord. Your Boaz, your Ruth is coming. Wait on God. Don't settle for a Nabal. Don't settle for a Nabal. Wait. There are many times in life, not just with that we see it in Scripture, uh, uh, um, where we see the benefits of waiting, not just with Boaz. We see it with Elijah. We see it with, with the 11 or what ended up being 12 there in the upper room. We see it with David when he was being chased by King Saul. We have the scriptures over and over extolling the importance of waiting on God. Look at like Psalm chapter 27 and verse 14. One that many of us here could probably quote. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Listen, that, that strengthening comes. Remember, God is good. He is. Don't forget that. If, there, if there's, a, if there's a, a reason why there's a waiting taking place, well, then trust God. Let him do what needs to be done. You stay faithful to him. So within this text right here, we have the importance of needing the wisdom of God, the integrity, that wholesomeness in our life, and as well as also waiting. And that takes faith. And that takes faith.